from John's Gospel, chapter, chapter 5, John 5, verses 1 through 14. For the last five or six weeks, we've been discussing spiritual growth, about how to grow as a believer, a Christian. And I think we've come to a, a point in this series where we have to ask ourselves a, a, a fundamental question, and that is, do we really want to grow? Do we really want to be whole, to be complete, to be sound? And that's what this, this passage, this, this uh, discussion is about this morning. How bad do you want to be all that God wants of you? After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there, who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, Do you wish to get well? If you have a King James, it's do you want to be made whole? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming down, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well, took up his pallet, and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore, the Jews were saying to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. I suppose that we all are guilty of asking ridiculous questions from time to time. I think I hold the world's record for asking dumb questions. This guy was a member of my church. His name was George. When he was growing up, he was a bright young man, normal in every way, and he went away to the Vietnam War. And and experienced in the war the trauma that we call simplistically he was shell-shocked, which means that he, when he got back, he was kind of with us and he was kind of not with us. He just kind of um, floated in and out of reality. One day I saw George in the hall of the church and he had a, a key, key chain on it, hooked on his belt, went all the way down to his ankles, 
and came up and hooked on his belt here, it would have been you know, on the Guinness Book of Records as the world's largest, longest key ring, keychain. And he had on that keychain hundreds of keys. And he was literally walking tilted. They were pulling him down. And I went over to George and I asked, I said, George, what are those keys for? And he looked at me with this incredulous look as if he were thinking, now that's a dumb question. And with a kind of a frustrated response, he said, locks. <laughs> and so I'm saying to myself, Tidwell, th there you go again, asking a dumb question. Now Jesus asked a question that seemed pretty ridiculous. It happened on the day when he walked beside the pool in Bethesda where all the sick had gathered. Where it was a legend in that time that when the water stirred perhaps from underground uh, stream and when they bubbled and stirred, an angel was nearby and the first person in the pool after the waters were stirred would be healed. And so from all over they came, the lame and the blind and the mute wanting to be healed. And as Jesus moved among that assembly of agony, his attention was drawn to a particularly pathetic man who had been lying there for 38 years waiting to be healed. And Jesus went up to him and asked him, do you want to be well? Now does that seem like a dumb question to you? It would be kind of like sitting in a, in a uh, waiting room of an emergency hospital, you know, bleeding to death. And after about 10 hours, the nurse comes out and says, do you need some help? And you want to say, no, I just bleed like this for the fun of it. I, I just enjoy sitting around in waiting rooms. But when you get down and really look at this question, it's not so ridiculous. Do you really want to be whole? Do we really want to be complete and sound? That's what the word means. It refers to more than just being physically healed. And that, that, that was what Jesus was about. And that's why he came. And that's the story of the gospel. It's the master's method of making men whole. And so he walked among men and, and he confronted them with the issue, do you really want to be well? Isn't that what everybody wants? Isn't it the desire of every person to be everything that God created them to be? And isn't that why you came this morning? Isn't that why you go to church? Hoping that this might be the day when God would break into your life and make you sound and complete. Isn't that the desire of every person alive? I don't think so. And we've been talking about uh, growing as a Christian isn't it the desire of everybody that he grows in, in spiritually to become everything God wants him to be? Oh, I don't really think that's really the desire of that many people. Now Jesus speaks three times in this text. The first time he speaks, he raises a question. He asks a question that deals with desire. The second time he speaks, he gives a command and the third time he speaks, he issues a warning. The first time he speaks, he probes with regard to desire. Do you really wish to be sound, complete, 
Do you really want what you say you want? Not everybody does. You know, there, I think there's some people who just enjoy poor health. I had a lady in my church one time who was either had been sick, was sick, or was getting ready to be sick. I mean, she enjoyed poor health. And one day I went to visit, I heard she was in the hospital. I went out to see her and I was going up down the hall and I came to her room and I could hear her talking on the telephone and she was just laughing and talking and to somebody on the, on the telephone and she was just having this wonderful time, so you know, vivacious and happy and healthy. And I thought, well, I don't want to interrupt her conversation. I've got other people to visit, so I'll come back later. And I went to see the other people in the hospital. I came back to her door, and, and she was off the you know, telephone. So I cracked the door and kind of tapped on it a little bit and said, it's the pastor, may I come in? And I heard this little weak voice saying, yes, come in. And so I went in expecting to see somebody in a kind of a last stages of life. And she had this towel over, the, over her forehead there and the covers pulled all the way up over her nose. And all I could see were two little eyes kind of looking out. And, and I started visiting with her and it was like, oh, I'm in so bad shape. And it was totally different from a person I heard from the hallway. And I'm thinking to myself while I'm talking to her, I, I think she's, she's enjoying this. I mean, she's loving it. You see what Jesus is doing? He's probing with regard to desire and he's asking this, are you really ready for the responsibility of wholeness? Many a beggar has had to give up a good life, a good living by being healed and he didn't have to work for it. While other men toiled, hale and hearty men toiled in the heat and the burden of the day, they didn't have to sweat out there in the heat the objects of charity. And Jesus is saying, are you really ready for that? For once you come out of those waters in the full vigor of health, you'll no longer be the object of charity. You'll be on your own. Are you really ready for the responsibility, for the price that wholeness demands? And so the author of the book of Hebrews talks about those of us who are having to be fed when we need to be feeding others. And he talks about those who are having to be taught when we ought to be teaching others. And the implication of it is, is that when you experience spiritual growth, you better be ready for the cost of that, for the demand of that, for the responsibility of that. Are you really ready for that? And this man's response reflected ambivalence. He began to talk about other people who'd gotten in there ahead of him and some who weren't able to Put, to help him in there. But Jesus wouldn't let him evade the issue and he puts his finger right on his heart and he says, no, the real issue is, do you want to be complete? Have you become so accustomed to this life of dependence that you're afraid to change? Are you afraid of what the not yet experienced brings? Do you want this? That's a big question. Has to be asked. I was reading a marriage manual not long ago and the author of this marriage manual said the single most important factor in any successful marriage is that two people desire for it to be successful. He said if you have two people who have a desire to make a marriage work, no condition is such that it cannot be overcome. But if you have two people who do not have a desire to make it work, 
No amount of favorable circumstances will guarantee its success. Now what Jesus is saying to this man is this. You can be all that God created you to be only if that is a burning desire. Now notice what wholeness is. He didn't ask him, do you want to walk? He asked him, do you want to be complete? Now I think there's some of us this morning who would like for God to deal, to work in part of our lives, but not all of it. We have a problem in our marriage. Lord, we'd like for you to help us with this marriage problem, but don't touch this other area of our life. And I have some financial difficulty. Lord, I need your help in my financial problems, but the other rooms of my life are closed to you. Do you understand what is happening? In order to encounter the wholeness that is in Jesus Christ, every aspect of your life must be open to Him. Are you ready for that? Now when desire is established, He gives a command. He said, walk. Now he didn't discuss with him the difficulty of his situation. He didn't even sympathize and show empathy or sympathy for his problem. He just told him to walk. And it was when he obeyed the command that healing came. Now you know what he was doing there? He was trusting and obeying as we used to sing in that old hymn. And you can't separate the two. Only he who believes obeys, said Augustine. And only he who obeys truly believes. Now I want you to understand that what he's talking about here is not only does one have to submit his entire life to the, to the healing of the Savior, healing or wholeness comes when a person submits his life to the Lordship of Christ in absolute obedience. I bring my life and I submit it, I submit myself to the creative power of God to grow me beyond where I am. And he had to stop hoping in the pool. Now I think a lot of us are, will rationalize and say if I could just get in the pool, everything would be all right. If I just had better working conditions, if I could just change jobs or locations, if I could just get out of this marriage, things would be better for me. No, things will get better for you when you submit your life to the Lordship of Christ in absolute, unconditional obedience. Now, two things about this command. It was an impossible command. He had just got through saying, confessing that he couldn't walk, and Jesus said, walk. For he always puts his finger on the very thing that we say we can't do. Because that thing that we say we can't do is the very thing not yet submitted to his lordship. And so those disciples were out on that little boat and a storm came up. And they were wondering where Jesus was to rescue them. Nine o'clock, no Jesus. Eleven o'clock, no Jesus. One o'clock, three o'clock, no Jesus. And then all of a sudden they saw him walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost at first. Simon Peter cried out, Lord, if it is you, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. Now that wasn't an arrogant boast from Peter. I mean, what else could he do? The boat was going down. Stay in the boat and it's at the mercy of the waves. He, he, he cried, Lord, 
If it's you, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. And he crawled out of the boat and began at the point of impossibility. For you see, Jesus never, as Lord, never calls us to that which he doesn't empower us to do. So that when he says come, when he says do, when he says walk, that at the same time is the promise that you can. And so he said to the man with a withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And that was the very thing he couldn't do. And to Lazarus, who had been in the grave for three days, he said, Lazarus, live. That was the very thing he couldn't do. And what does all this mean? It means that there is absolutely no excuse for not doing everything the Lord commands you to do. Impossible command. Immediate command. Now the rationalization is when the conditions are better, when the time is better, when I feel like it, I'll walk. No, it's now. I was looking over this sermon and I remembered that command that God gave Abraham. What, a, what, a, what an impossible command. Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and put him to death. For those of us who are fathers who have only one son, who have any son, what kind of a, what kind of a task is that? And I'm reading that story and I'm thinking to myself, Abraham will put it off as long as he can. He'll put that off as long as he possibly can. But the next verse says, And straightway early in the morning he took the instruments of death and with his son headed out to the place of execution. Now I want you to watch this very carefully. Your, the sincerity of your desire is measured by the promptness of your obedience. The sincerity of your desire is measured by the promptness of your obedience. And when you tell me or you, you say to God, I want to be a witness or I want to tithe or I want to be, be all that you can be, that's measured by the promptness of your obedience. Now get up and walk, he said. And then he comes to the final statement. He issues a warning. I want to read it again. He said, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore. So here's the warning. So nothing worse may befall you. Now what could be worse than to spend 38 years an invalid? What could be worse than to lie around some pool somewhere, totally helpless for 38 years? What could be worse than that? Let me tell you what could be worse. It is to be whole and sound and lose it. Now some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have encountered Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And you have experienced wholeness and soundness and peace and power. And some of you have known what it means to pray and have prayer answered. What it means to touch God and sense His presence. Some of you have known what it means to experience this wholeness. Something happened along the way. 
you compromised, sin crept in and eroded that power and that peace and that sense of His presence and you're worse off today than before. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. If you read the, this passage in the total context, you know that's not possible. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that the most miserable people in all of the earth are the people who have been there and have lost it, who have known power and peace and completion, joy, fulfillment, and have settled for less than the best. Person was talking to me the other day about, we were talking about a, pe- a fellow who was a minister and he had walked away from his call and had um, become real bitter and hated God, hated the church, hated preachers, even though he was a preacher. And this fellow I was talking to said, How could somebody get that bitter? How could, how could a believer, a preacher, ever become that bitter? My response was, a, 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 a This response is true, that the most miserable, unhappy people in all the world are not the people who have never encountered Christ in the the wholeness experience, but the people who have experienced that and have lost it. They're the tortured folks. They're the unhappy people. They're the people who are most miserable in life. And I remember that story about a little boy who heard a circus was coming to town. He'd never seen a circus. He lived way back in the country. He was poor. He'd never seen a circus. So this little boy, 12 years old, began to beg his father, Dad, I, I want to see the circus. I want to go to the circus. And the father didn't really have the money, but he saw how important it was to the little boy. So he said, I'll tell you what, son. Saturday morning you get up early and do your chores. If you do all your chores, I'll give you the money and go to the circus. So he was up early on Saturday morning. He got his chores finished and he presented himself to his father. And his father reached down in his bib overalls and pulled out a dollar bill. Gave it to the little boy. Most money he'd ever had in his hand one time. So he started running to the village, running to town where the circus was. And he came to one of these main roads that led into the village. And there was a large crowd of people that had conjugated. He he didn't know what it was, so he made his way through the crowd to the front of it. And he saw the circus parade. All the trapeze artists in their beautiful costumes, doing their little tricks, doing their hand, you know, um, flips over their hands, whatever you call those. They, They... the circus band was playing and the, and, the, and the tent master was shouting and everything was exciting. And then all of a sudden they came along with these cages of lions and tigers he'd never seen before. And elephants, one right after another, each holding the tail of the elephant in front by, by the trunk. And then as the, as the parade went past, the clown brought up the rear of the parade with his floppy shoes and big red nose and funny color hair. And as the clown went past the little boy, he reached in his pocket and handed him his dollar and turned around and went home. He thought he saw the circus. All he saw was a parade. It illuminates the pathos of some of you who settle for far less than the best. 
It, it illuminates the description of some of you who have paid your money and have missed out on the best in life. And so Jesus came along and said, You have been made whole. Now it's your responsibility to keep yourself whole. Now it's your responsibility to grow up to be everything you're redeemed to be. And if you settle for less than that, you've missed life. And with this fable, I'm through. There's an old Dutch fable that says, there were three tulip bulbs in the bottom of a tulip bin. One was named No, one was named Maybe, the other was named Yes. And then the winter, as the winter time began to approach, No said, I don't really believe that we'll ever be anything but this. I've heard that there is a higher destiny for us. I don't believe it. I think this is all we were ever meant to be. And so no rolled over to the edge of the bend to sleep through the winter. Maybe said, No, I think there is a higher destiny for us. Something inside of me says that we were meant to be more than just brown tulip bulbs. And I'm going to be that. I think I can become that. And so maybe squeezed itself and squeezed itself, trying to be what, he was, what it was meant to be, and finally gave up in a fit of frustration. Yes, said, there is a higher destiny for us than this. And if we present ourselves to the hand of the Creator, He will bring us to our highest destiny. And one day a hand went groping down into the tulip bin for tulip bulbs, and yes, gave itself to that hand. And the hand took the bulb and put it in the soil where it stayed the, for the winter. And when the spring rains came, and the warm spring days came, yes, burst into bloom and became what it was meant to be. And so Jesus walks among us to ask, would you say yes to me? And the moment you say yes, this is what I want. This is what I desire. This is what I've dreamed of becoming. This is what I've desired for me. The moment you say yes to the hand of the Lord. The healing process begins and the cycle of death ends. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'll burn a desire in each of us, create a fire in each of us that would never let us be content with anything less than all you have for us. 
no longer satisfied with mediocrity or indifference or apathy or nominality. To say yes to all that you dreamed for us when you created us, saved us. And I pray that there'll be hands today reach out to your hand and lives changed and desires rekindled. Help us to give up hope in the pool. Place our hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose name I pray.